This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm so excited today to be joined by Dr. Michael Ivey, Deputy Chief Medical Officer at Yale New Haven Health in Connecticut. Dr. Ivey, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, Laura. Glad to be here. Absolutely. And, you know, on the podcast today, we're going to be talking a lot about the past year and some of the challenges that healthcare providers have been faced with dealing with COVID-19 patients, and then what we need to do in order to make sure that we're tackling some of the challenges they're having with burnout and depression and how to support team members going forward. But before we do that, Dr. Ivy, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. So I am a uh, trauma critical care surgeon, acute care surgeon um, by training. I I grew up in the Navy. My dad was a submarine sailor. I joined the Navy to pay for medical school. So spent about nine years on active duty between training to be a general surgeon. I deployed a couple times, um, once with a Marine Infantry Battalion in the Pacific, and then uh, once as part of a fleet surgical team to the med. After I got out of the Navy, I did did a fellowship at Yale to in surgical critical care. And then became, like I said, a trauma critical care surgeon um, at Bridgeport and, and New Haven. Became the chief of trauma at Bridgeport and the program director of the uh, Yale Surgery Residency. Spent three years in kind of the vice chair of a surgery role at Hartford at one point. They they called it something else, but I don't really remember what that was. Anyway, the vice chair role. And then I spent like five years as the VP for quality and risk at Bridgeport. Six years as the chief medical officer at Bridgeport and then a year as the interim president at the hospital, and then um, became the deputy chief medical officer for the system uh, in November of 2019. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like you've built quite an amazing career for yourself. And, you know, I understand that you have experienced a bit with burnout and depression earlier in your career. What did that look like for you, and how did you move forward from that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Thanks. Um, so you got to go back to the early 2000s. And like I said, I was a uh, pretty busy doing trauma and critical care and burns, emergency surgery. And I love that work. I mean, it was uh, really found it fulfilling I'm working with the residents and uh, that kind of thing. But then, you know, in 2002, like a lot of things happened. You know, we were a little short staffed to start with the residency. Um, you know, GME was going through a lot of changes at that point. So I became the associate program director, which was, you know, a fair bit of extra work. And then you know, so I was getting, I was working very hard at that point. And then in that summer, the chair at Bridgeport left. And so the chief of trauma moved up. And so I became the chief of trauma. So I had, you know, a couple of big new roles. And, and actually, we lost, you know, trauma support because, uh, you know, the previous chief had become the chair. And so I wasn't really able to handle the same clinical load. So they, me and the guys in my section, we got pretty, uh, pretty burned out um, over that time. We're working very hard kind of um, every day, you know, trying to just, you know, make sure we took care of the patients that we, you know, didn't let each other down. But then that, you know, that kind of pulls you away from your family. You know, you're not, you're not home much. Um, and we were, you know, we missed a lot of things. And then uh, over time you start to feel, um, or I did anyway, I started to feel guilty for not being there uh, for my family and uh, sort of blame yourself a little bit. Um, and then, you know, then you also sometimes feel like you're letting down your colleagues. And after a while, you know, I think, um, that, that distress gets to be a problem every day and, uh, pretty soon, you know, you don't find the same joy in, in life that you had. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd always prided myself on being pretty good at solving problems, but it just was just not one that, that I felt that I could, 
I you know I couldn't figure out how to solve this. I think we just needed more people, and the hospital couldn't afford it at that time. So um, yeah, somewhere over that winter, I lost hope that things were going to get better. Uh, then uh, you know that it's it's not uh, you know started having some thoughts about um, some suicidal thoughts um, and uh, started you know developing a plan on how to do that and then. Um, you know, the one day I remembered a lecture from med school where the lecturer said that, you know, if someone has developed a plan or is in the process of developing a plan, that they really should get seen very quickly because they're depressed and suicidal. And and that that was really the first time I realized that's what was going on. I, you know, I had, I mean, it seems um, hard for me to believe at some level, but that was really, it was like an epiphany driving across the bridge. Um so I was driving into work. Uh, we, we covered the VA, uh, the search class at the VA at that time. So I uh, drove in there and ran it on the patients and then talked to the chair. Um, she's a, a Ronnie Rosenthal. She's a tremendous human being and, um, you know, really kind of uh, had a hard time, uh, kind of broke down uh, talking to Ronnie. And, uh, but, you know, she has a lot of compassion and empathy and, um, you know, took took some time off. Which kind of helped arrange for me to uh, start seeing a therapist, and uh, you know, so I started seeing a therapist. The therapy works um, worked for me. It helped me a lot, um, tremendously. It takes some time. I think that you have to recognize that you are worth the time. You know, every week. You know, from you know whether it's a few hours a week or later, maybe an hour a week. But uh, you know that if you stick with it and are open during the discussions, that you can you can get better. And, uh, and I did, I came out of it, um, you know, obviously, and it, you know, I've gone on and, you know, had a, had a good career. So, um, that's kind of the gist of, um, you know, what I try to get across to people is that, you know, it's okay to, you know, be having these kinds of thoughts, but you need to, you need to get help and it's okay to get help. You can still have a great career, but just get the help, get better because you can. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Dr. Ivy. I think it's so important for, you know, everyone to hear kind of that, that story and that personalization of what you went through, because I know there are a lot of healthcare providers now that are going through similar anxieties and situations. I'm sure a lot of hospitals mm-hmm. and healthcare organizations are experiencing staff shortages, are experiencing, yep. you know, the, the same types of situations where they've got a lot of uh, cases, a lot of things they need to take care of. Patients are depending on them. Their families are depending on them. And, you know, it it definitely um, is a lot to take in and a lot to have to internalize during especially such a challenging time overall within healthcare and within this country. So, you know, I'm thinking or or wondering from your perspective, after having been through, you know, what you've been through, when you see something like this happen, what do you encourage people to do, I guess, when it's hard to kind of admit to yourself that you need some help, or you need to reach out a little bit, you need to take a step back. I think, as you mentioned, there are are a lot of fears that could be disruptive to your life. And, you know, what do you want to tell people, I guess, that can really make that difference and help them take that step forward to get the help they need? Yeah, no, thanks, Laura. Um, Yeah, I I think the reason I, you know, I've I've talked about this, you know, publicly now a little bit is, is to reassure people that it's okay. But that, you know, look, if you are concerned about being burned out, or maybe being depressed, talk to somebody, please. I mean, please talk, talk to a counselor. Um, I get that it can be hard to talk to a counselor. You could do what I did, which is talk to a colleague or someone that you trust first. 
about where you are. But you know, if you if you have you know if you have doubts, like th- this is not something you want to make make an error. You know, be wrong about. Get help. Like there is actual help. I mean, I know that the that the work is hard and the culture is hard, um, and and those are slow to change. But so what you got to do is you got to take care of yourself, and that means, you know, reaching out um, to try to try to talk to somebody, you know, a professional. And you know, I think that by telling someone you trust, you can make public what you've kept private for too long, and you know, maybe that helps give you the ability to go and uh, you know and, and see a counselor and see what kind of help that you need. Yeah, I, I think that's perfect. And I, I'm too wondering from the health system executive level, how leadership can change their approach to make sure they're supporting team members, clinical team members, as well as other staff members, you know, who may be experiencing burnout and depression and, and other things. I think that's something that comes up a lot when I do talk to um, administrators and executives yeah. at the health system level. They understand it's a problem, and, but really, you know, don't have the solution to it. In your mind, is there anything that they can do to help promote the type of um, culture or environment that's really supportive of physicians and, and nurses and other clinicians and staff members as they're um, experiencing burnout and depression? Yeah, I, I think there are some things that, that people can do. And, and again, I, I think, right, you just have to be not in touch with your staff to not understand that there's a lot of burnout right out there right now and, and some depression. And, you know, you want to help your staff get through this and help the people that, that are working for you and with you. Um, one is, I think, um, I have a few things. One is um, try, try to give your staff flexibility in the way they work when you can, right? If you can make their work easier to manage, that's going to make their life outside of work easier too. You know, and I know almost everybody's already working on trying to make the work less burdensome, but I mean, don't don't stop doing that either. Trying to make the electronic medical record easier or the process of care easier. Those are those are still important goals. I think another big thing is that like if you have lived through burnout or depression, you should talk about it. Um if you're a leader, with the goal of normalizing it, decreasing the stigma, and encouraging people to get help. I would say if you as a leader have not personally lived have the lived experience of uh, you know, burnout or depression or PTSD. Try to get another leader who has and who is willing to talk about it as an ally to talk about their experience with burnout. You know, that way, even if you haven't experienced it, your public support for the discussion as a leader shows your support for dealing with mental health issues. You know, and look, it can be hard to find. It, I mean, it's not easy to talk about. But, you know, I, I think for those people who might be listening, if you have gone through this experience, like there's a need like people, I and mean, I've given the talk a few times, there, there's a need out there for people to hear this, and there's benefit to it. And so um, I, I get that it's hard to do, but trust that you're helping some of the people that are that are listening to you when you talk, um, which makes it makes it worthwhile. I'd say uh, third, try to make sure that getting help is easy and confidential. And then and then the last thing I think executives can do is, depending on what state you're in, and this is not. And Connecticut does a great job with this, but you may need to lobby your legislature to get rid of some of the inappropriate questions about a history of mental health on licensing and privileging applications, because that's a lot of the hesitation in some communities is people are really worried about their license and their ability to practice in the future. And we should try to um, change the way the legislation is written in some states. Yeah, I think those are all great points and really helpful, both from the tactical side of things, as well as, 
you know, kind of the person to person connection um, aspect of it that can really make a big difference. Um, yeah. It sounds like so. I also wanted to, um, some of the piece, some of the advice I give people, you know, when I'm talking about this and, you know, and in conversation, there are things that can help, you know, and again, I, you know, resilience has gotten a bit of a bad name, but I think, you know, changing the work and changing the culture are, those things are slow to change. And so the thing that you can do in, in the immediate term are things to help yourself. And, you know, among them, like exercise, you know, three times a week for 30 minutes, uh, at a time. I mean, exercise helps your heart, your lungs, your muscles, your brain, your bones frequently, depending on what kind of exercise, your mental health. It, it helps all those. And, and, you know, I really strongly encourage people to try. I don't care if it's walking, the dog, running, swimming, riding a bike, riding a stationary bike, doing yoga. I, you know, I, I don't think it matters that much, but just getting out there and getting your heart rate up a little bit um, is really helpful. I also think finding three things to be grateful for every day is really helpful. And, you know, and I, I mean, these don't have to be like, you know, solving world hunger, you know, it, I was out um, running, you know, this morning and a Baltimore Oriole flew, you know, in front of me as I was running. Well, that's, I mean, I, I'm grateful that that happened. Um, you know, that is, so the gratitude can be a simple thing, but once you start looking for things to be grateful for, it turns out that there are a lot of things every day that, that we can all be grateful for. And then I would encourage people to, um, you know, stay in touch with the people that they love and with their colleagues. Again, I, I think the pandemic has kind of made that difficult, but I, I, would, I would really ask people to be intentional, you know, put some energy into that, trying to stay in touch because it's, it's, you know, it's just so important. Those are all great exercises and things to think about, especially for clinicians and how they can take control of, you know, the situation as much as possible. And, um, you know, for all the changes that need to occur and some, like you said, are slow moving. These are really, really great ideas of things that they can do and start immediately um, that I know can make a big difference. Yeah, no, thanks, Laura. I I think so. I think you're right. And And there is something to be said about the control too, right? I mean, doing things that you can do, like, you know, empowering yourself a little bit. It's helpful. It's really helpful. Absolutely. I, I know from my perspective, I always like to um, think about the things that I can control that I can do. And that really gives me comfort, I guess, in any kind of situation, especially, you know, with some of these big problems. That's right. Yeah, I agree completely. Me too. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Dr. Ivy, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really valuable episode and I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Okay, thanks, Laura.